that's coming up very quickly, but our youth, they are participating in a Bible bowl at the Greenville Avenue Church of Christ. And so we would, and they're practicing very hard on Saturdays. Our youth are up here for four or five hours practicing, um, and on Wednesdays, practicing for that Bible bowl. So we just ask you to, to support that effort as well. Are you ready for the word? Psalm chapter 13 is where I want to bring your attention this morning. So if you have a copy of the word of God, whether um, in hard copy or, or on your device, would you please turn with me to Psalm chapter 13? And I want to read the entire chapter, all six verses of Psalm chapter number 13, um, all six verses as the Lord shall speak to, shall the Lord shall seek to speak to his children this morning. Psalm 13, verse number one through verse number six, I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible, but if you have a reliable translation, you should have no problem following along with us. That's Psalm chapter 13, verses one through verse six. Are we there? The psalmist who we believe in tradition says as David says this, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. But I have trusted in your unfailing love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I want to talk to us this morning and tag this text with the title, What to Do When Your Mind is Playing Tricks in You. What to do when your mind is playing tricks in you. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this preaching moment. And thank you so much for this text that we are seeking to understand you, God. And Father God, it is our prayer that after we surface again from the depths of this text, that we might surface anew, that we might surface refresh and understanding that you are worthy of our praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. What to do when your mind is playing tricks in you. I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to you and 90% of how you choose to react to it. I am confident in reporting this morning that there are many things that God does not give us permission to control and few that he does. Number one, you can't control the weather. You cannot control nature. You cannot control the cosmos. And I'm sorry to tell you, but you can't even control other people. Sisters, I said that. That's right. 
I know you love him, and I know you said I do for better or for worse, but you will never be able to, amen, can any sister here testify? Amen, somebody. You will never be able to control your man, your boyfriend, baby daddy, or husband. And husbands just alike, you will never, amen, somebody, no matter how many books you read, no matter how many seminars you go to, there's one person you're never going to be able to control, and that's the woman that you said I do to. Amen, somebody. Listen, listen. And if you have no control over weather, if you have no control over nature, if you don't control the cosmos and you have no control over other people, also understand you certainly have no control over going through trials, nor do you control which trials you go through. But there is one element in your life that you and only you have control over. And that is your attitude. That is, God controls what you go through, but you control how you go through it. Can I say that one more time? God controls what you go through, but you control how you go through it. Why is your attitude important? Let me give it to you this way. Study was done years ago, and there was a principal that wanted to conduct this study. The principal of this school, she calls in three of her uh, teachers, and she says, listen, you are, my, are the top teachers in this school. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the best students in this school. And I want for you to do the best you can in educating the best students in our school. She went into another room, and she pulled in the, the, the children. She pulled in 90 students, and she said, listen, you are the top 90 students in this school. And I'm going to pair you with the best teachers in this school. And she says, I want for you to do the best you can this year in school. After three months passed by, they began to look at the results. And as they looked at the results, they noticed that these students had increased 20 to 30 percent above the highest student in the entire school. And after this study, the principal, she brought the, the teachers in and she says, let me tell you something, I must admit, you have achieved 20 to 30 percent higher than any other teacher in this school. But understand something, I did not give you the top 20 percent. I gave you the bottom 20 percent. She then looks at the students and says, I want for you to know that you have achieved 20 to 30 percent higher, but that did not happen because you were the top. You actually were the bottom. Now, you must ask yourself, what was the difference between their performance before the study and after the study? That is, they went into this school with a different attitude. Amen, somebody. The question to address this morning is how do we maintain a godly attitude while all hell is breaking loose all around you? How do you keep a godly attitude when all hell is breaking loose around you. Number one, David says it this way. Number one, vent your frustration. Number two, express your need. And lastly, recognize God's goodness. Number one, vent your frustration. Number two, express your need. And number three, recognize the goodness of God. How do you move from lamentation to praise? First, you need to be reminded that you need to vent your frustration. Looking at this psalm, we are met with quite an uncomfortable reality. David, whom the scriptures will declare, is a man after God's own heart. David, 
a man who has walked with God and has seen the power of God and has been anointed by God. David, who has, who has been rescued from enemies and has allowed to be successful in the fields of combat, whether inside or outside of his home. David, who has seen firsthand the power of God. This is the same David who is responsible for many of the psalms that we read and many of the songs that we sing today. It is this David who is crying out to God about the enemies that are coming up against him. And what captivates your attention when you read this psalm is that while David is lamenting to God about his enemy, David declares that the reason that his enemy has the advantage is because God has turned his back on him. Yes, you heard me correctly. I said David says that God has turned his back on him. David suggests that what is making him lament is not necessarily the enemy that surrounds him. It is rather that he feels that the enemy would be defeated if the Lord would act on David's behalf. To make this plain, David is saying that he feels as if the Lord is ignoring him. Or the Lord is uninterested in helping him. The Lord, according to David, has turned his very presence away from him. I know I hear you. I hear your silence. You don't get it yet, and that's okay. And perhaps you don't get it because I read this text in a New American Standard Bible that sometimes is hard to understand. But can I go to a more contemporary translation and show you exactly what I'm talking about through the same text? That Psalm chapter 13, beginning at verse number 1 from the Message Bible. Listen to it. Long enough, oh God. You've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Long enough I've carried this ton of trouble. Lived with a stomach full of pain. Long enough my arrogant enemies have looked down their noses at me. Let's be clear, family. This morning, child of God, if you are honest, there are those of us who know the scriptures and are well aware of what they say about God. Number one, you know God is omnipresent, don't you? That is, God is everywhere at the same time. That there is no wall that can push God out or hold God out. Proverbs 15, 3 says it this way. The eyes of God are in every place, watching the evil and the good. You've been in church. You know God is omnipotent. That means God is all-powerful. Daniel 4, 35 says all the inhabitants on earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants on the earth. And no one can thwart off his hand or say to him, what have you done? You know God is omniscient. That is, God is all-knowing. Psalm chapter 139, beginning at verse number 1, says this way, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down, and you know when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways, even before there's a word on my tongue. You know it. You know it all. Amen, somebody. With all of this knowledge of the character of God and the behaviors of God, if we're honest, we must admit that though we know these things and these facts, there are times when we don't feel that God is acting according to his description. Yes, I know, I know, I hear you, that this statement alone is controversial. But let me be clear, there are others besides David 
who questioned God's behavior when they were in a season of testing. Elisha questioned God. First Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse number 11, the Bible says, So he said, Go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by. And a great and strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing. And while Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Here it is. Elijah said, Lord, I have been very zealous for you, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed the, your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life to kill me and take my life. That one didn't get you. Job questioned God. Yes, he did. Job 29, beginning at verse number one, the Bible says Job resumed his response and said it this way, oh, how I long for the good old days. When God took such good, very care of me, he always held a lamp before me and I walked through the dark by its light. Oh, how I miss the golden years. Amen, somebody. When God's friendship graced my home, when the mighty one was still by my side and my children were all around me, when everything was going my way and nothing seemed too difficult. If Elijah didn't get you and if Job didn't get you, there's another one that in his moment of testing, begin to question the timing of God. Jesus himself questioned the timing of God. Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse number 45, said this way, from noon to three, the whole earth was dark. Around mid-afternoon, Jesus groaned out from the depths of his heart and said, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatani. That's translated, my God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? Amen, somebody. Now listen, are you comfortable enough now, Avenue F? With these cast of characters whom doubted the goodness of God when they were tested, to now be honest and say that sometimes in life, though you knew God was omniscient, though you knew God was omnipresent, and you knew God was omnipotent, that you have doubted the goodness of God. This does not mean that you aren't saved, and it did not mean that you were not a Christian or an unbeliever. But what it did mean is that you're human. And as a human, there are times that you want to be spiritual, but your flesh seems to take over even if for a moment. And you begin to ask questions, not of your faith, but questions in your faith. Am I talking to anybody in here that you have gone through testing in your life and you say, Lord, are you still good to me? Lord, can I still depend upon you? Can I talk to somebody that you've had a loved one that has been uh, hospitalized in the hospital and you have had to get off of work? Go to the hospital. Take care of your loved one. A day turned into a week. A week turned into weeks. Weeks turned into months. Months turned into years. And you look and you say, Lord, how long am I going to have to deal with this issue that I'm dealing with? All right, maybe it wasn't your loved one. But can anybody in here testify that I stood before God and man? And I said, Lord, I give my life and I give myself to this man or to this woman for better or for worse, through sickness or in health. But it seems like that we're going through more worse stages. 
than good stages. And you're saying, Lord, how long must I go back to a cold house? Lord, how long must I go back to an unloving place? Lord, how long will we be unreconciled and be indifferent towards one another? And let me tell you something. If that didn't get you in the hospital, if that didn't get you, I know one thing that will get you. Can anybody in here testify that you thought your money was going to show up on time? Amen, somebody. And you at the end of the month, and you had more bills, and you had money in your bank account, and you cry out to God, God, don't you care about what I'm going through down here? Lord, don't you care? Don't you see your child down here struggling? And you have asked God, God, have you turned your back on me? God, you hear me calling you, but do you even care about what I'm going through? Amen, somebody. Can anybody in here testify? Maybe it wasn't your money. Maybe it wasn't, maybe it wasn't your job. But can anybody in here testify that it's them children that you got to raise, that you say, Lord, amen, somebody. I'm tired of going down to the principal's office. I'm tired of getting a call from the teacher. I'm tired of having to wonder about where you are and why I got to worry about you. And you begin to ask God, how long do I have to run behind this boy? How long do I have to run behind this girl? Lord, how long do I have to stay up all night wondering and worrying about where, amen, I hope I'm talking to somebody in here that is willing to testify that sometimes in life you don't have a question of your faith, but you definitely have have a question. Amen, somebody. In your faith, amen. Amen. In your faith. Oh, Lord. Lord. Oh. Lord, have mercy. Work with me, Lord. David's concern was not in God's goodness, but in God's timing. Notice, David's, David his concern is not in God's ability to intervene, but God's timing in intervention. Four times David says, how long? How long must I wait? How long will my enemy get the best of me? How long will you turn your back on me? This is the voice, family, of someone who is in trouble. Someone who has enemies after him. Someone that is in imminent danger. In spite of his complaint, there is one accolade that we should be able to give David in response to this song. And that is the fact when David was in trouble, he knew who to call upon. In verse 3, depending, rather in, verse, in the first verse, depending on the version that you read, the first verse there is Lord. Amen, somebody. How long? That is, before David says anything, he acknowledged that God was his Lord. And as Lord, that means that he is in control not only of David's life, but over his enemy as well. How could David be concerned about time? Why was David concerned about time? If we remember, it was in 1 Samuel 16 that David is anointed king by the prophet Samuel as the new king of Israel. But there's one problem. While David is the king, Saul is still sitting on the throne. Lord, have mercy. It is not until 2 Samuel chapter 5 that David sits on the throne as king. Work with me, church. That means that there are 18 chapters between David being anointed as king and David sitting on the throne, amen, somebody, as king. I need to say this to you this morning. 
The Lord promised David the kingship while he was a teenager. But David did not sit on the throne as king until he was 30 years old. That means that what God had promised to David, he had to wait for for at least 11 years. That is, he received the promise in chapter 16. But it doesn't come to pass until the fifth chapter of another book in his life. David had to wait on God for 18 chapters to be crowned as the king. Also remember, this was not a waiting period where David found himself sitting by idle and watching. It was actually a period of stress, of pressure, and turmoil. Saul, the current king, knew that David had been anointed as a new king of Israel. And he knew, and therefore Saul set out with a mission to kill David. And for 10 years, David is on the run from Saul, hiding, running, and waiting. David knows that, the, that he is the king, but the question is, when will he become? the king. We need to understand that if God called David in chapter 16 of one book, but didn't allow him to sit on the throne to chapter 5 of another book, then we need to understand that God will call you to a destiny in the chapter 16 of one book of your life, but God will not allow you to fulfill that destiny until chapter 5 of another book in your life. And while you're waiting, please understand that there will be enemies looking to deter you from your destiny. But don't be discouraged by their falsehoods and don't be discouraged by their insecurities. When the Lord decides that it's your turn to sit on the throne, no matter what an enemy might attempt to thwart the plan of God, be encouraged, child of God, that if God promised it in chapter 16, God will bring it to pass in chapter 5 of another chapter. Amen. So I hope I'm preaching to somebody in your life. If you don't believe me, I know what I'm talking about. Jeremiah will tell us this way. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know, y'all know that passage, the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Family, we need to understand that delayed does not necessarily mean denied. Just because your promise is late does not mean that God has said no to his promise. God could be saying, hold on. There is some stuff that I need to clear out. Amen, somebody that's in your way before I can bring my plan to pay. Amen. Can y'all got me now? Now, wait a minute. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Listen. Listen, listen, you guys know that I'm married to a Georgia peach. Amen, somebody. And listen, amen. Yes, I am. And listen, listen, family. I remember that on one of, one of my trips out there to Georgia that uh, I caught a, a plane southwest out of Georgia, and, and, and the plane lifts off, and we're, we're in the air. And while we're in the air, the gentleman next to me, he the pilot comes over and says, listen, put your seatbelts on, tray tables up. We're, we're preparing uh, for a landing in the Houston area. And so the, the guy sitting next to me, we begin to talk, and we begin to talk. And, and, and he said, listen, so do you mind if I put the window up and look out the window? Amen. So I'm like, Lord, have mercy. And I, I said, listen, yeah, you're going to do that. I'm going to look this way, and you just look all over there. But, but as the trip went on, I got a little bit of courage in me. Amen, somebody. And, and I just so happened to peek out the window and look, and the guy, he tapped me, and he said, listen, is that the Reliant Arena where 
that he from Texas come? And I said, uh, I said, yeah, that's uh, that, that that that's it. He said, okay, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, and then the plane began to turn. <laughs> and as the plane turned, I got courage again, and I just so happened to look out the window, and I saw the Reliant Arena again. Didn't think much of it. Okay, all right, all right. And then the plane made another turn. And when the plane made the turn this time, I saw the Reliant Arena again. And just when I began to question this, the captain came over and the captain says, listen, I know that some of you are probably wondering why we continue to circle the runway. He says, but listen, there's some stuff on the runway you can't see. There is some things on the runway that the ground crew needs to get out of the way. And when they get that stuff out of the way, then we will be able to make our entrance on the runway. Somebody ought to know when I'm preaching and give God a hallelujah right now. And that is sometimes God is not saying no to you, but what God is saying is that I got you in a holding pattern and I've got you going in circles, not because I'm upset with you, not because you've done something wrong, not because I've changed my mind, but there's some stuff that you can't see up ahead of you. And when that stuff gets out the way, now you can fall down in your death. Amen, somebody. You can fall down in your destiny. Now listen, let's be clear. For fear of being misunderstood, when you approach God, and I am declaring, bench your frustration to God. But when you bench your frustration, you better be careful who you're talking to. That is, that is, Birdman will say it this way, put some respect, amen, somebody. Put some respect on his name, amen, somebody. Because listen, Job tried it. Job, for three chapters, just went off on God. Y'all remember that. God, why are you letting me go through this? And if you're a good God, why would you allow this to happen? God listened to Job for three chapters. And then the Bible says, and then out of the whirlwind, God began to speak. And God said, Job, I've heard you long enough. And I've heard you complain now for three chapters. He said, now listen, gird up your loins like a man and prepare for battle. And if you can answer these questions, then I'll answer your question. God says, Job, where were you? Amen, somebody, when I formed the worlds. Where were you when I set the dimensions of the world? Where were you when I put the ocean in its place? Where were you when I formed everything? You say, amen, somebody. So when you come to God, be very careful, and you better watch yourself. When, amen, somebody. Listen, let me put it like, put it like this. Lord, have mercy. I feel like preaching this morning. Amen, somebody. Y'all ready? Listen, listen. There were certain tools that David needed to develop that would help David to be the king that God wanted for him to be. David's father didn't even think enough of him to invite David to the coronation of his own kingship. David needed this experience because it taught David that just because you're overlooked, it doesn't mean you're unqualified. Somebody need that word this morning. David needed the challenge of Goliath because it is through the challenge and experience with Goliath that David learned when enemies come up against me that I am unable to overcome on my own, I can call upon God and he will give me the power to overcome any enemy that I face. David needed to face the fall with Bathsheba because it was through this experience that David learned that God is a God 
that will hold you accountable for your sin. But God is a God of a second chance. Amen, somebody. Do I have anybody in here that just want to wave your hand and say, thank you, Lord, that you're a God, not of just one chance, but you're a God of a second chance and a third chance. You could have took me out a long time ago, but you keep saying, boy, you might have failed, but get back in the game. Amen, somebody. Listen, 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 family. Listen, listen. David needed these experiences because it helped David to be prepared for the next season in his life. Let me give it to you this way. There is an oriental philosopher, a Christian writer by the name of Watchman Nee. Anybody know Watchman Nee? Amen. He's an he's a oriental a Christian writer who, who, who wrote during the period of 1922 to around 1955 at his death. His name is Watchman Nee. And, and in one of his autobiographies, a Watchman Nee tells a story when he was a youth, and he went to Christian camp with many of his friends. And Watchman Nee says that, that he and his friends went to the pool during camp. And he and all his friends jumped in the water. And while they were in the water, there was a friend of theirs that had begun to struggle and fight against the water. And he was beating the water and beating the water. And everybody got out of the pool um, because they didn't really know what to do. So all of them got out of the pool. And, and the boy was just struggling and struggling and struggling. And, and watch when he said they were standing there just watching this boy struggle and struggle. And watch when he looks across the pool. And when he looks across the pool, he sees a lifeguard. And the lifeguard is standing at the edge of the pool just looking. Lord, somebody ought to help me right there. He's just, he just looking while this boy is struggling. And then the boy seems to breathe his last breath and go under for the last time. The lifeguard jumps in, grabs the boy, swims him back to shore, and resuscitates him. Standing on the other side of the pool is the boy's mama. Come on, mamas. Come on right there, amen, somebody. The boy's mama walks up to that man and says, Hi in the world. Can you watch my son almost drown? And you stand by and not do anything. What are we paying you for? And what is your training for? For you to stand there and watch my son almost die. And you stand by almost indifferent as if you don't care and you do nothing. The man real calmly looks at her and says, ma'am, let me, let me explain something. I've been doing this for a long time. And there have been people that were drowning in this pool. And while they were fighting against the water, I jumped in trying to rescue them. And when I jumped in when they were fighting, they grabbed me and put me under the water. And they held me down. And I had to fight now for my own life. He says, so what I have learned to do is I have to wait for them to go down for the last time. That is, give up all their energy. And then that allows me to jump in and rescue. Somebody ought to help me right there. Do you know that that's exactly what God does for his children? That listen, as long as you fight and as long as you think you got the strength to get out of the mess that you in, God says, go ahead and fight. Go ahead and do what you got to do. But as soon as you run out of strength, as soon as you give your power over to God, as soon as you say, I don't have the knowledge, the network, the money, the finances, the wisdom to get out of my mess, that's just when God jumps in. Amen, somebody. And God will, God will rescue his children. Let me tell you, let me say it to you this way. Amen, somebody. I hope somebody got Twitter open. This is tweetable. Amen. Listen. 
Do not despise your season of preparation. It is in this season that God is giving you the tools necessary to be successful in your next season. God says, I have determined your placement, but I have also determined the preparation for your placement. Can I say it one more time? This is tweetable right here. I have determined your placement, but I have also determined the preparation for your placement because I will not have you placed and not be prepared, amen, somebody, to be placed. So what God does is he allows you to go through seasons of testing in your life because these seasons are designed to give you certain tools, amen, somebody, to, to, to prepare you, amen, somebody. Let me, let, me, let me give it to you this way. Number one, number one, vent your frustration. Number two, express your need. Let me give it to you this way. I read it in that good English version before. Let me kind of read it in contemporary language. That is, take a good look at me, God, verse three. I want to look life in the eye so no enemy can get the best of me or laugh when I fall on my face. David expressed his need to God. And I know David did right because Paul tells us to do the same thing in Philippians chapter 4 beginning at verse number 4. Paul says this, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men for the Lord is near. You ready for your verse? Here it is. Highlight it. Tweet it. Here it is. Be anxious for nothing. Hey, y'all got it now? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Y'all, that's your verse right there. You ready? Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. And the prayer made with supplication and thanksgiving. Listen, listen, listen. That is, this text, let me slow down and teach you something. You ready? This text shows the law of transference. The law of transference. Paul says, don't worry about anything. Worry. You know what worry is? Greek from the original language, you know, worry is the idea of being pulled in multiple directions at the same time. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. That is, I got stuff pulling me in all different directions, not one by one, but at the same. Okay, ain't nobody shouting yet. Can I get it to you? Can I get on your street right now? That is, I got my marriage pulling me one way. And then I got my money pulling me another way. And then the job is pulling me another way. While my children pulling me in another way. So I'm concerned about my marriage. I'm concerned about my money. I'm concerned about my job. And I'm concerned about my children. Not one at a time. But all at the same time. Amen. Somebody, you got worried now? So Paul says... Do not allow yourself to be pulled in multiple directions at the same time. But what is your answer to not allowing life's problems to pull you in multiple directions? Paul says pray. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Paul says pray. Now watch this now. He says pray. And the prayer with supplication. Can I just give it to you quickly? Listen, listen. You know what supplication is? That's a big word, right? Can I, you know what it really means? Beg. 
Do I say it one more time? <laughs> Supplication, that means you beg God for what you want. Amen, somebody. Amen, somebody. That is, you put on the table what you need. Amen, somebody. You tell God exactly what's going on in your life. So he says, yeah, you start your prayer out, Lord, you're holy. Lord, you're righteous. There's no one like you. And when you get done with all that, you say, Lord, this Negro is tripping. Amen. Some, amen. Come on, somebody. Amen. Lord, Lord, they off the, I don't know what to do with these children. Lord, these children are off the chain. I don't know what's going on. Lord, you know my boss had the nerve to tell, amen, somebody, had the nerve to tell me today, Lord, Lord, you know my money running out, amen, so I'm trying to be a good steward, but it looks like I just got more bills and I do money. Lord, I got some problems going on. But Paul says then a law of transference happens. That is, I tell God how great he is. I tell God everything going on in my life. But I don't end the prayer without saying, Lord, but thank you for everything you have done, that you are doing, and that you will do. And Paul says when you pray that kind of prayer, you give God your concerns, and then God will transfer unto you something called peace. Lord, Lord. Lord, have mercy. Can I say it one more time? You give God your concerns, and then God will rain down in your life peace. And can I give you something? Peace is something money can't buy. Because there are a whole lot of folk that got a whole lot of money but can't go to bed at night. Amen, somebody. But he says, and God will give you peace that will guard your heart. And your mind. Wait, what, what does God do? God gives me peace. Not to protect my body. But to protect <laughs> my mind. Amen, somebody. Amen, amen, amen. You ready? Now, now, what does that look like? Can I give you something? Notice what he says. He will give you peace. And he gives you peace. Now, what is peace's responsibility? Peace's responsibility is to stand on guard and separate you from what you're going through. Can I say it one more time? The responsibility that peace has in the life of a Christian is to stand on guard and protect you from what you're going through. Lord, have mercy. Can I, can, I, can I illustrate what I'm talking about? Can I illustrate what I'm talking about? Give me four brothers. Give me four. Give me four brothers. Let me show you what I'm talking about. He says, God, when you pray to him with your concerns, God will dispatch an army. And the army's job is to protect your heart and your mind. That is, when my marriage is out of control, and I pray and I give it over to God. God will send me a guard that will protect me from the mess I'm going through. Lord, have mercy. Amen. So, when my children are out of control over here and I give it over to God, God will dispatch another guard that will guard me from the mess I'm going through with my children. When I'm going through financial trouble over there, God will give me another guard 
that will stand on guard and protect me from the money trouble that I'm going. When I got mess on the job and I give it over to God, God will send me another protector that will protect me from the mess that I'm Can Anybody shout God is a good God. That God will keep, amen, somebody. The Bible says, and he will keep him in perfect peace. He whose mind is stayed on him. Amen. Thank you, brothers. Thank you, brothers. I'm trying to show you this morning that God will give you peace when you give your mess over to him. Now, you ready? If you want to hold on to your mess, you keep on holding on to your mess. You don't want to go sleep at night, well, then you stay up all night. But God promised that when you give it to me, you will be able to go to sleep. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Can I show you something in verse 5 and 6? David says, but I have trusted in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has been good to me. Wait a minute. Can I tell you how God can fix you without fixing it? We always want God to fix the problem. God says, I'm not going to fix the problem until I fix you in the problem. I'm not going to change what's going on around you until I change you in the mess that you in. Amen, somebody. The mess that you in, I'm not going to take it away until you learn the lesson and get the tools that you need to make it through the next phase in your life. And when you know God is working on your side, child of God, amen, somebody. When you know God has worked it out before and God is working it out now, it gives you confidence to know that God will work it out. Ross, how you know what you're talking about? Where did you get that from? David, verses 1 through 4, gives God all of his problems. Then beginning in verse number five, he begins to give God praise. One through four, he tells God everything that's going wrong. But beginning at verse five, he begins to give God praise. Here is the problem. David begins to give God praise, and God has not addressed his situation yet. God did not work his situation out yet. But David says, even though God has not worked it out, I'm going to still give God praise in the midst of what I'm going through. Amen, somebody. Can I give it to you straight so that you understand? This is tweetable right here. You don't have to wait to get out of what you're going through to open up your mouth and give God some praise. You can praise God in the middle of what you're going through. Ross, how can I do that? Look at what God brought you out of 10 years ago. Look at what God brought you out of last year. Look at what God brought you out of last month. And you ain't lost your mind yet. You still live in a house. You still eating good food. You still got a vehicle. You still got employment. And if that is an indication of how good God has been, all that does is tell me how good God is going to be. Lord, have mercy. Amen, somebody. Family, the enemy was still present. The Lord was not only working it out, but the Lord was giving David a workout. <laughs> the Lord was, listen, let me get out of these notes and let me just talk real. Can I talk real to y'all family? I don't know what you're going through in your life this morning. Personally, I don't know what you're going through. But is it possible that God is preparing you for this season 
because God has called you to greater in your next season. But you're fighting against this season. Lord, I'm tired of this. Lord, that's enough. Lord, when is enough enough? Do you even care about me? And is it possible that God is saying, wait, just hold on. You cannot see what's up ahead, but I can. And I cannot risk you going where I'm taking you right now without you having these tools that you need. I am preparing you. All you have to do, family, look at the tools you have in your toolbox now. Man, you used to fly off the handle. Amen, somebody. Give somebody all of your mind. And then the Lord sent you through a trial in your life. And now you stand on the other side. And now you say, I have learned to be swift to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. It used to be a time in your life, amen, somebody, where you just go put on your good short skirt, amen, somebody, and you get what you want, how you want, amen. Come on, somebody talk to me now. But now you say, no, I need to be chaste before the Lord. And my, my, my worth is not defined in my body, but my worth is defined in who I am in Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, somebody. How did you get these tools? It was because God has allowed you to go through challenges in your life, and they have tuned you. And now look at you. Now some of us are sitting on the throne. Amen, somebody. And you're reigning supreme. And you say, Lord, how did I get here? It's because of all the obstacles that I had to overcome that I am where I am. Family, don't despise your season of preparation. This could be the very season God is using to equip you to take you to a higher level in your walk with him. Who knows, family? I'm, I'm sick of this job. I'm sick of it, and I'm tired of my boss, too. But what you don't see is there's a promotion in your future five years down the line. And God is saying, is God saying to you, I need for you to learn how to work with this co-worker that gets on your nerves. Because I'm going to give you a promotion five years from now. And there are going to be some employees. Come on, somebody. Anybody in here manage? Amen, somebody. You think one co-worker getting on your nerve. When you get this promotion, you're going to have a whole load of folk getting on your nerve. So I got to train you. So that when you get where I'm taking, you won't defame my name. You won't think you got there because of your own ingenuity, because of your own knowledge. The only reason you have, you have uh, achieved what you have achieved is because I have given you the skills to be successful at your next. Somebody say, take me higher, Lord. Amen, somebody. Somebody say, take me higher, Lord. Listen, you're here this morning. You're here this morning and you need prayer. But you're here and you're in a season. God has you going through a season in your life, a season that, quite frankly, you really don't understand why you're here. But you need for the saints of God to lift you up to the throne of God in prayer and pray on your behalf that the Lord might continue to give you the strength. You ready? God might not remove what you're going through, but God will give you the strength to stand under what you Am I not talking Bible? Paul, Peter says, Paul says, I prayed to God three times.
that the Lord might take this thorn out of my flesh. And every time I prayed to God, God said, nope, not this time. Nope, not the second time. Nope, not the third time. I'm a, I want for you to learn how to deal with that thorn because if I take it out your side, you're going to get beside yourself. Amen, somebody. And Paul says, now you know what? I no longer glory in my strengths. I glory in my weaknesses. You know why? Because when I am weak, amen, somebody, then I'm strong. Amen. When I recognize how weak I am, then that lets me know how strong God is. Amen, somebody. You're in a season. God might not remove what you're going through, but God can move you in what you're dealing with. And if you're here this morning and you need prayer, you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, that is, you have not been baptized in water for the remission of your sins, added to the body of Christ and given the gift of the Holy Spirit, we bid you to be baptized this morning. Begin your relationship with God. Begin your walk with God among the people of God. We are not declaring to you uh, this morning that when, if you accept Christ that everything in your life is going to turn around. No, but Christ will give you a new perspective and a new strength in what it is that you're dealing with. That is, he, God is going to give you the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to help you to walk this Christian walk. He will give you the endurance to be able to stand under what you need to stand under and also run away from stuff you need to run away from. Amen, somebody. But God bless you as we together stand and sing the song chosen by our worship leaders. God bless you, Avenue West.